0: Hey, hey. Oh my God, I'm in studio. (laughs) I'm so happy you're here. Louder
1: and crisper than usual.
0: (laughs) I love it. I am so happy that you're here. Same. I can't think of a better week for you to be here. Yes. Like seriously, I think we must have hugged for like 10 minutes when you finally came. I was just, I've been there. Yes. This week has been a decade. This (laughs) Yeah. What were you saying? Like, okay. Um, yeah, it's world, today, ja- um, yeah. Is it today, January 51st? <laughs> it's the longest it's month. month. I was also telling this month to calm down. I know it's the first decade, decade, you know, the first month of the decade, but it didn't need to be this extra. Yeah.
1: Like, don't get it all <laughs> in one month. Try to do every monumental out. thing. You got
0: it. You got a lot of time. You don't need to do it all in this month. So, yeah. I, um, it's been a lot. It's been a lot. But I am i couldn't think of a better person to spend what our discussion is going to be about today yes. and having you in the studio just makes it all that it's much gonna more. It's going to be extra. Yeah. I like it. I like it. I like it a lot. So I'm so glad you're here. Our producer, Kendall, is out uh, covering Super Bowl. So we wish her... You know the best in Miami. She came back from New Orleans and got like bird flu, or what do we call Bourbon Street <laughs> flu? <laughs> Bourbon <laughs> Street <laughs> flu. So um, please, Kendall, take better care of yourself. And she should hopefully we'll be back next week, and we'll be doing uh, a little more um, stuff with her. But if you're ready, Karen, I'm so ready. You got any updates uh, on Cohen on San Francisco? Anything you want to talk about? Um, you know, I'm still trying to get this whole uh,
1: prize pack for oh, any God. new reviews <laughs> for the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's slow rolling, but we've got some more important stuff and other giveaways coming up. So yeah, that's, true. that's going to take a bit of a
0: pause maybe. Okay well it's all it's your program so you do what you gotta do um but i do have some stuff we could add to the price pack so that's good awesome so, um, besides that update, um, we want to remind you to please subscribe or like and review on Apple Podcasts and or Spotify. And we're also on Google Play because, Karen? SEO, baby. That's right. SEO, baby. So, please, um, if you like what you hear and you want to subscribe, they were, that way you know when you can listen to us. Um, if you don't listen to the live show, please um, do that on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And then if you review us, that's awesome because we that will help us um, get up into the you know into the um, search better. Um, let's see. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at The Hoops Talking. Normally, Karen live tweets the show. I might
1: try, but it's not going to be as fast and furious as other <laughs> Yeah,
0: a, Maybe I have to do it. She's running the boards. I'm so running the boards. I, I got a laptop with the agenda. I got snacks. I got a timer. Yeah, she's got snacks. I almost killed her about those <laughs> snacks. Um, so, yeah. So, um, we are on uh, Twitter and Instagram. And you can DM us. You can follow us. You can tweet at us. We love engaging and sharing and doing all that fun stuff on the on social um and then yes if you do leave a review karen is going to pick a winner for the prize pack uh it's all it's gonna be good guys all i know is it's gonna be good
1: yeah we got some good prizes i mean there'll <laughs> be definitely some branded swag yes maybe some reading materials
0: yeah oh, oh yeah. yeah that's right
1: okay. um yeah. i have a lot of hand cream i got over christmas that okay, i just yeah, you know no. that's a lot no I need you to stop I mean, that. Uh, is this an age thing? Like, because my face still looks like I'm 15, <laughs> but my hands do look 36. Wear gloves.
0: Wear gloves. <laughs> Keep them in your pockets. Um, yeah, so um, also today we are, we have a special guest who is calling in and we'll, she's going to be speaking at the first half of, this segment or after the segment. Mm -hmm. So we're really excited to have someone call in. It's our first time we have a call in. First time caller. I
1: know. (laughs) Long time fan.
0: (laughs) Super excited. Um, We'll we'll get into that. Um, And before uh, we do move on to the next segment, I think um, Karen, we're going to do a brief moment of silence for Uh, Kobe and Gianna, which we will be discussing um, that later in in the show. But we figured we'd do a 24.8 seconds of silence. So we'll go ahead and, and start that now. And on with the show.
1: All right. I did that great. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, multitasking here. So we're, Liz and I are very excited for our guest that we're bringing onto the show today, who's calling in from Rip City, Portland. Um, Heidi Bushy is a relationship expert, coach, and author who believes that true love and intimacy are ac- accessible to everyone. In the late 2000s, Heidi lost her marriage and her dad to alcoholism. It's from this dark place of deep authenticity that makes her uniquely guide women safely and with hilarious candor to the other side. In 2018, Heidi quit her day job. Jealous, and wrote a book, "Relationship Ready: How I Stopped Fucking Randos and Started Cupcaking My Soulmate." So we thought we'd bring Heidi on the show today to explore her book, entrepreneurship, which is also dear to um, Liz in my heart and our minds, and talk a little bit of business from a woman's perspective. Dive into how she quit her nine to five to write a book, build her business, and any tips she has for our listeners who are out there hustling. Welcome, Heidi.
2: Oh, hi Liz! Hi Carrie! Yay. Hi! hi. <laughs> Long time listener, first time caller. Yes, awesome. yes.
0: I'm
2: with you, uh, you guys are. I just need your other listeners to know that you guys are so legit. You have your oh. shit together in a way that you, re, your show requires a lot of organization, and you have it all together. Oh. And you have snacks, and you have transition <laughs> music. I mean, it's. I'm just. I'm amazed. I do also need you to know that I am harnessing the power of kareem abdul jabbar tonight Love my it. husband yes. 20 minutes before the show he went down into our basement and was like you know like throwing stuff around like digging i was like <laughs> what is going on down here and he pulled out a 1986 clear Premier kareem abdul jabbar basketball mm. card mm. and told me to have good luck on the show so <laughs> the reality is my um my hoops knowledge is limited to the statistics that are on the back of this card And so, what happened during um, the 1990s, the mid 90s, and uh, for the Chicago Bulls. So, that's where I'm not on that stuff. I mean, we saw your video,
1: and he must really love you because there's no cover on that. You're not wearing gloves. I'm just, or using a tweezer to hold it. I am surprised. I know,
2: and I'm. I'm drinking tea next to it. I'm like a little. I was like, oh, I better put that mug somewhere else. I don't want to. You know, like I'm the kind of person I would like put a mug down on it, and then there'd be a drink circle on it. And I'd be
3: like, sorry, love you. Same.
0: That's awesome. That is so awesome. And and I'm assuming that you were able to get such a wonderful husband because of your uh, what you have in your book.
2: Yeah, so I, um, my passion uh, is helping women identify and change painful patterns in their relationships, and uh, I wasn't able to have an, uh, a sustainable, long-term, loving relationship until I took a good hard look at my own um, patterns and found a way to change them. I did some work around my patterns of relationships that were causing me a lot of pain, and it was really transformative as far as my perspective on men dating and relationships, and I will say that the book is written um, on my own personal experience. And mm. so it's mostly written in the, the hetero um, context, mm-hmm, but it mm-hmm. certainly applies to any gender identity or any, you know, any kind of I, any, any identity. I feel like the concepts in here are like really pretty basic. Mm. Um, but I always talk about them just from my own perspective. It's just a little disclaimer.
0: Oh, I love that you have that disclaimer though. Cause that's good to know that, you know, at whatever, however you want to come at it when it comes to relationships yeah between your partners or you know whatever it is mm-hmm. you know the fluidity of it I love that you know it's all inclusive so that is really great yeah. to know great to know well okay. I took a little bit of time to uh, read through because mm-hmm. I wanted to see you know what uh, you know I'm in a relationship <laughs> um, so from my perspective I feel like I'm doing Everything right. <laughs> I love my uh, let me see the chats light
1: up from anonymous next fan.
0: Uh, I feel like I have a, a great partner, husband, loved one, and um, I. But I did, you know i I think I w- we were chatting prior to the show, and I have gone through divorce. I have gone through um, toxic relationships, and mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. for me, reading this, I was like, "This is so great." I wish. I don't know if the outcome would have been, I doubt it would be different because I truly think I found my, the person I'm supposed to be with. Um, (laughs) But um, I do think that this, you know, there's probably a lot of people that could have these tools and be okay to say that they need help with these types of tools and narratives and themes that you have in the book.
2: oh yeah i mean a thousand percent like i only ended up um like willing to ask for help around these patterns because like i was in so much pain that Mm -hmm. i just couldn't take it anymore right Mm -hmm. it was like for 33 years i'd been dating unavailable guys and like you know every six months kind of like banging my head against the wall like what (laughs) the fuck (laughs) right what am i doing how did i end up here again
0: right again Mm -hmm.
3: seriously
2: right um and then there was a quote unquote relationship that kind of brought me to my knees that I can talk about or we can get to later, but it's Mm. in the book. And I finally just kind of bottomed out, like I cannot Mm. do this anymore. I must find a different way to do relationships.
0: Which actually brings me to something that I read in the intro of the book, where you, uh, where it's written, you wrote. Um, I think it's a common misconception that we're born completely to show up authentically in our romantic relationships. Mm. That actually, mm. that really struck me because I thought, like, well, yeah, I guess I never really was taught about what that, how to do that. I, I know that I was supposed to, you know, mm-hmm. eventually find someone to be married to and then like the whole I guess quote unquote American dream Mm -hmm. but I never thought about Mm -hmm. like all the steps that lead you to there and how you should it's kind of like a playbook like
2: actually get there Yeah. yeah can
0: you talk a little bit more about what you meet what you meant when you were writing that or how you found that out
2: Yeah, for sure. Thanks. it's a great question. And Mm -hmm. I'm sorry that I interrupted at the end of what you were saying. I'm just so excited just talk about it. So there's a couple of things that I think kind of fuel this question or this piece of the book. And one of them is um, a concept that I learned actually from a therapist that I went to for a long time, which is called, which is this thing called the linear social um, script, Mm -hmm. the linear social script. And that's that cultural construct that says like, okay, you go to college you graduate high school oh, when you're yeah. 18, you go to college till you're 22, you meet the love of your life at 25, you guys get married at 26, you buy the house at 27, you both are well into your careers, you have the kids by 28 at the latest. You you know it's like that. That is that cultural construct that's very linear of like this is how it goes.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, part of that linear social script is what you're talking about, which is that nobody explains like, yeah, but how do I actually? build a relationship with another person that is resilient, meaning that it can withstand disagreement, Mm -hmm. um, argument, um, you know, actual real emotions, Mm -hmm. um, that it can withstand the humanity of one another. And also, how do I build a relationship that's reciprocal? So I today look for my relationships have to be have both of those R's. They must be resilient and they must be reciprocal. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like the reciprocal piece of it is like you can it's it's kind of in the same vein of like, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. So that's like, you know, if I say to my husband, like, Hey, um, I want us to, you know, can we make an appointment to go to a couple's counseling therapist or something? And he says, yes. Okay. But he never picks up the phone to make the appointment. Like that's what I'm talking about in a reciprocal relationship. Like each person is doing their work Mm
3: -hmm. and each
2: person is showing up willing Mm -hmm. to try something. But like the linear social script tells us when, when, we should be doing all those things, should, quote mm-hmm. unquote, should, mm-hmm. um, but it doesn't tell us how, mm-hmm. and, it, and we also don't, and we forget that there's, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that linear. So I had to go through a lot of um, failed relationships, lots of pain. I've also been divorced um, mm-hmm. before I realized like, wow, the, what I need to learn how to do is to, first of all, identify what it is that I'm feeling and what the need is that accompanies that. And then I have to learn how to communicate it to somebody else.
0: Right. Right, it's so hard. And also, I mean, not for anything, but it sounds so unromantic when we put it in, oh, yeah. in like a term. It's so psychology you know. theory and yeah. steps but it, yeah. and, I mean it, it does. But I mean, at the end of the day, like I feel if you don't do these things that you're talking about, Heidi, and like show up uh, authentically mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. have that R and R, and also have mm-hmm. this accountability, then. Mm-hmm. When, when things start to die down, right. you're going to end mm-hmm. up in an unromantic place anyway. Mm-hmm.
2: Oh my God. Well, and like, or maybe even worse. And mm. so for, in my experience, like the thing about my book is that really like all my shits on blast, the, yeah. the whole, like the first 70 pages is like basically me telling you about every bad decision I've ever made, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, including the first time I got married, which was that I met my ex-husband, um, when I was, uh, abroad in Ireland, at a wedding, uh, we were both in the wedding party. Mm. And like he, we had kind of this whirlwind thing. And there were red flags from the jump um, that I decided to ignore. And then I really fell in love with the idea of this whirlwind romance. Mm -hmm. And so we dated long distance for six months. Mm -hmm. And then he moved to Portland, I was living in Denver. So we were still long distance, although we weren't across the Atlantic. Mm -hmm. And um, we got married after eight months. And then we moved to Ireland for a year and like, I really got addicted to this story of like our whirlwind romance Mm. is so important. It's so, it's so crazy. We didn't need, you know, whatever. But the reality was I talk about it in the book a lot. I walked on eggshells around him all the time. Mm. And by the end of our relationship, five years, you know, I sustained myself on that, on that romantic, you know, romanticizing with him for five years before I finally realized like I'm suffocating and like a part of me is dying every day being in this relationship and I have to choose me or choose this wow. and I choose me
0: wow yeah because also another part of the book that struck me um when you're when you're talking about the steps that you took was that mm-hmm. um you do say that if you're familiar with the 12-step recovery work mm-hmm. which I'm assuming is from mm-hmm. you know um uh, I know that you've said you've suffered with alcoholism. Mm -hmm. Um, And Mm -hmm. if you're Mm -hmm. familiar with that work, then some of the exercises that you have in your work will be familiar. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about like how that kind of came about and how you're using the 12 step to Mm -hmm. bridge this gap into what you uh, what you do in the workbook?
2: Yeah, for sure. Well, so I am a sober woman in recovery. I'm just over eight Congrats. sober today. And Congrats. all, thank you. And all of this turmoil, this like kind of last relationship that led me to do this work, all of it happened when I was two years sober. And at that time, I really felt like, yeah, you know, like, I don't drink, I don't do drugs, I don't steal shit, like, the last two vices I have are, like, parking illegally and fucking people's boyfriends, you know?
3: (laughs) So, um,
2: so, I was, like, like, all in on that, you know, like, I do what I want, and I, I, at the time that I made this arrangement with this guy, I felt, like, really empowered around that, I do what I want, I've seen sex in the city, I fuck who I want, I don't do anything Mm. else, you know, whatever, and, um, for a long time that, that felt really good to me, and then, Basically, what happened was this guy had a girlfriend, and he and I would just get down. And eventually, he broke up with his girlfriend, and then he asked me if we could do something besides just get down. He said, could we go to dinner and get down? And I'm Mm. like, well, we could, but that would be dating. And he said to me, like, yeah, but I don't want to date you.
3: Mm.
2: I was clear with you from the start. I don't want to date you. And I was, like, devastated. But you want to go get dinner? (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. What?
1: And then, but he wants to go get dinner and do other stuff besides sex? I mean... (laughs)
2: yeah but he didn't want to date and I'm like well that's what dating is so we have this fundamental disagreement about what dating was but Mm -hmm. I also realized that I had been lying to myself that even if it was really true for me six months prior to that that I could just fuck who I wanted to and do whatever at this stage in the game if I was real honest with myself the reality was I'd always been hoping that he would dump her and pick me yeah Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was like, God, that's so painful. That sucks so bad. That's such a yeah. shitty thing to do. And it's a shitty way to feel. And like, and I can't numb this away with alcohol or drugs or shoplifting or I, shoplifting is not really part of my story, but it's a lot of, right. people, it's a lot of, a lot of people struggle with that um, or shopping or whatever. Right. And so I called this girlfriend of mine who I knew from recovery and she was like, we can do some work around this. So, you know, fast forward, it took me 12 months, 11 months to do the work that she had suggested I do. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, like, and I, my whole perspective was transformed. And I thought, oh my God, there are so many women who need access to these tools that might never come across them because they don't identify as alcoholics or addicts. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And so there are a number of pieces of twelve step recovery work that I've integrated into the workshops. Um, there are some pieces of my own, you know, my own stuff as well. But there is a large inventory taking process where you like find out your patterns, and that's directly from twelve step work. You'll definitely recognize that if you've been had any exposure to it. But largely, I felt like there are a lot of women that could benefit from this that might not ever come across it. Otherwise, you know? Right. right, Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I think it's interesting because like you said, you know, they might not be addicts or alcoholics, but loves a drug. (laughs) You know what I mean? And some of the feelings you feel even in your bad behaviors that gets addictive. So it's really kind of interesting that correlation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And also like the top of (laughs) any relationship is like a drug. Oh yeah. It's endorphins. It's it's a whole, Mm. it's a whole new thing. Hmm.
2: Well, and I discovered, like, I had been kind of like, I had been a kid that had always struggled with self-worth and self-esteem, and so when I got a little older and I had a different exterior appearance, like, I see attention that I got was kind of drug-like. Yeah, right. So I didn't even really have to be in love with anyone, but just, like, have somebody texting me, like, oh, you cute, like, oh, yeah, I'm cute, you know, <laughs> whatever, so um (laughs) yeah
0: yeah (laughs) oh thank you and uh, one of my one of my last questions and then i know karen had uh some stuff she wanted to go over with you but i would love it if you could describe cupcaking to our listeners
2: yeah well it's a little bit it's a word that i made up so it's not it was a little risky to put it in the title of the book but you know it is basically like that blissful period when you just want to do like you first start dating someone you just want to like do everything you can with them you just like want to be in your their armpit like all the time like, oh, just, let me just wiggle right in here you know you're like uh they're
3: like oh babe what do you got to do today oh i gotta go
2: grocery shopping oh i can't wait to go let's go get some avocados you know like you just want to like you know prance around the farmer's market together like you're just in i don't know the best part of you know whatever so right. you just like want to do everything together i just remember when i started dating my my now my current husband Jeff. i remember saying to him like I can't believe that there's not, like, FMLA for new relationships. Like, I should get Mm. some mandatory leave time because I'm in love. Right. (laughs) But but unfortunately, it's like it doesn't work like that. So I remember just getting this huge resentment that I was working for the city of Portland and that I didn't get FMLA for being in love.
0: (laughs) I love it. I love it. I love it. I mean,
1: you can always use your sick pay.
2: (laughs) It does
0: feel like a sickness.
2: I know, but I ran. What if you run out? You know, I just wanted. I just wanted an extra benefit. I just feel like it's so awesome to be in love, and it's so awesome to be in love with someone who loves you back that you should just like every employer should just like acknowledge and love on the fact that you're in love. You know, it's a little hey,
1: entitled. I think you're going to start something, Heidi. On. Get that petition going.
0: <laughs> I know. Yes. I I feel like I would sign it. Yeah, because I know I felt like light, <laughs> super lightheaded when I knew I was in love.
2: Aww. It was good. It's Drive to wake up and go to work, when you're like <laughs> na- laying next to your soulmate. And like, oh, god, I gotta go work yeah. on a spreadsheet now. Yeah, <laughs> with
1: these fucking people. <laughs> <laughs>
2: exactly. With Karen from accounting being like, Did you get that
3: invoice? Like, I'm in love. leave me
0: alone. Well, thank you so much for that, all that information. Oh. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I really yeah, enjoyed reading some of it, and I know that. Karen had yes. some really great stuff she wanted to talk about. No,
1: definitely. I mean, and I don't want to like brush over the relationship stuff. I started digging into that too, um, Heidi. And I've been in two years in therapy because I decided too that uh, these patterns are not getting me to where mm-hmm. I want to be. Um, and definitely Good that for you, girl. Yeah, thanks. I, I mean, definitely that linear thing. You know, I had my daughter out of wedlock at 29, and I definitely mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. jumped out of that. Um you know, chronological order that we're supposed to go through. And, and, and that, you know, that's heavy on sometimes, you know, you kind of have a bit of guilt there and, and shame. So mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff I had to
2: uncover. Well, I think we should all be flipping the linear social script. I think it's a thing that exists, but I would love for Just like if we can all get on board for signing the FMLA for love, then we should also (laughs) all get on board with flipping the linear social script. It's outdated. Bye, 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 bye. I'll
1: sign that petition, too. (laughs) Okay, good, good, good. (laughs) Well, you know, now what's really interesting about the book, though, is that you decided Mm -hmm. to quit your job. And in exactly one year after doing so, you self-published this book. So it's really interesting. And what, you know, what really made you take such a huge leap to uh, live, like, what am I, what's happening here? (laughs) Leave the corporate world.
2: Well, there are a couple of things that were happening. First of all, you know, I had, I had some of this stuff in motion before I actually left the job. So that's like a very important Mm, disclaimer. mm, Like it is, you know, there is so much social media and the way that technology exists today makes so many opportunities so much more accessible for us than they used to be which is awesome but we should also have like a little bit of financial responsibility a little bit you exercise a little bit of restraint and just make sure whatever it is that you're working on that's like your passion project or your side hustle or your dream make sure you've got some things the wheels are already turning because it's really hard to leave your desk job and then like start something new when you don't have any momentum going so i think the hardest period between the hardest period is when you have to work on both and like live your life and be a parent and show up to shit and do your podcast and you know like you've got a lot of other stuff going on but you have to do all all those things until you're really ready to jump ship
1: yeah love that Um, so how many seasons do you think we need to be in until liz and i can
2: (laughs) 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 a thousand episodes It's hard, right? Because there isn't really, there isn't a bright line. I mean, I think it would be easier if you'd say, if you could say, okay, do six, you know, do 60 episodes, and then you can go ahead and follow your dream. But it's like, you know, I I hope this is a good time to talk about this metaphor. Karen, you and I talked about it the other day, which Mm -hmm. is like, there, I love this metaphor about a tunnel walking through fear, fearfully. So Mm -hmm. at some stage, you do have to go, look, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna be afraid. Ready is a lie. I'm never gonna be ready. Mm -hmm. I'm just gonna do this. Mm -hmm. Right? And the best metaphor that I have about that is, like, you're in a dark tunnel, and you're afraid of the dark, and you're standing at one end, and you have to get to the other end. And the end that you're standing on has um, a motion sensor light. So you take four steps forward, and you're still in the light. And then the fifth step, the light goes out. And so it's like, oh, shit. I'm scared. I'm in the tunnel. And there's no light. So, of course, I'm going to run back a couple times and turn the light back on. Because, mm, duh. Right. But If I'm always Mm. running back to turn the light on, I'll never make it through the tunnel. Mm. So at some stage, I just have to accept, look, I'm going to have to walk through the rest of this tunnel Mm. in the dark. I'm going to have to walk through fear, fearfully, and just know that I am qualified, and I am thrifty, and I am smart, and I can can make it happen, but I'm never going to feel fear-free. And actually, if you didn't have any fear, you'd probably be a psychopath. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what but were you t-
1: saying t- in the t- car, too, Liz? Down. We were talking about um the easiest way through.
0: Oh, I, I was saying the easiest way forward is through. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. I oh, was
2: like, um, there's like. Oh, I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. no, no, no.
0: I was just. It was in context of a family member. But yeah, go ahead.
2: Well, like there's this quote. I think it's like maybe Churchill or something, where he's like, you know, they say when you're walking through hell or when you're going through hell, keep walking. Yep. You know, you don't stop. Mm you're never going to go through it. So just keep going and you'll get there eventually.
1: That's awesome. And I think too, for me, like, you know, I've, I've written, uh, I've been Mm -hmm. a writer pretty much uh, most of my life. And it's so interesting that you published your book on your own. And I, Mm
3: -hmm. I think
1: I have so much fear and writer's block around doing something as big as that. So what made you decide to do that specifically, like to not wait for a publisher and self publish and, you know, how did you go about that a, a bit?
2: Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. Well, a large part of it is, like, I'm not particularly patient. So mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not trying to send all these. I, and I'm also kind of lazy. I mean, <laughs> uh, i would say that disparagingly, but I'm like, I don't want to put together a fucking book proposal and then send it to somebody oh, yeah. who's going to say no. On like, top of writing I, the book? I don't think I want to do that, you know? <laughs> And so I talked to a friend of mine who was like, well, why don't you just write the book? And then she had done this. She had self-published. So she's like, you know, some people, a strategy is they write the book, they self-publish, and then they shop the book to um, a literary agent or to a publishing house once it's done. And I was like, all right, maybe I'll try that. But the reality is the hardest part of it is actually writing it. You know that you're a writer, right? So like, the Mm -hmm. hardest thing is sitting down, opening your laptop, shutting -hmm. out the distractions, and typing it. And I can't tell you like how many times I thought, oh my god, I need to get a new Apple, I need to get a new MacBook, I need to make sure that I have the Microsoft most recent Microsoft Word, I need to have the lighting just right. And eventually, I said, you know what? Fuck it. My kid, <laughs> my step is 11. She has an old Chromebook that she doesn't fucking use. I'm gonna open it up. Mm-hmm. What's on here? Okay, Google Docs. I'm writing this book in Google Docs. Here we go. And uh, you know, and I just started doing it. And I did have to take, I did have to take myself out of my life a little bit mm-hmm, because. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of distractions at home, so I oh, have yeah. family in Denver. So I I tripped like, or I booked a couple of week long trips to Denver where like my mom goes to bed at seven, and then I would just write from seven to midnight. Interesting, you know. And every single day, because like I'm away from the distraction of my husband, mm-hmm. I'm away from the distraction right. of my stepkid. Like I'm away from all my friends. You know, I've got like a couple of friends there, but you know, it's like I had to kind of isolate myself a little bit to do it. And so then all of a sudden, I did that a couple times, and suddenly I've got. A, you know, a 14 chapter book. And it's like, okay, when I started to think about it like that, there were some other things that happened too. I started to think like, uh, the book needs to be about 45,000 words long. That Mm -hmm. means that each chapter needs to be like 2,500 words, 2,500 words is basically a a five page single space document. Like, I'm pretty verbose. I think I can do that. You know, so I started to kind of, that was actually the best advice I got was, kind of dividing it into these chunks. Like every chapter needed to be its mm-hmm. own document. Right. And it really only needed to be like five pages long. And, and you, I was like, okay.
0: And you know, it's funny because as you're talking and, and talking about carving out this time that you used, mm-hmm. I wonder if you could speak a little bit about if you had feelings or if, you know, in some of the things that you've seen as you've gone through this journey of mm-hmm. entrepreneurship, if you've mm-hmm. if you felt this entrepreneurship equals uh, being selfish, you know, mm. because I know like mm. for myself, like starting my own business and doing this podcast mm. and, you know, I have a very supportive uh, family and loved ones and friends. So I didn't, mm. but at the same time, I'm like, you know, this is something that I'm doing. I'm not like getting Monetary, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm not getting anything mm-hmm. monetary right out away, of it right yeah. away. But you know, we're we're growing. We're still in this phase, and and I really love it. So I feel like loving mm-hmm. it makes me feel very selfish yep. in doing it. And you know, Karen, you have a fa- mm-hmm. you have your daughter, mm-hmm. and there, you know, you're taking time fly here, and you know, when we get together and do it, Heidi, can you speak a little bit about that? Did you have that feeling of being selfish, or how did you mm-hmm. come at that p- part of yeah, your journey? I love that.
2: I- I, that's a great question. I think that so, some of that selfishness that we feel is projection is projected mm-hmm. on us by our family, and a lot of times, especially our parents or our older family members, our aunts and uncles, they're well intentioned. They want you to be safe. They want you to have benefits. They want you to have financial security. Mm-hmm. But like a lot of them don't truly understand the extent to which our economy has changed. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, like, they really don't get that it is possible. It's hard. It's not easy. It requires consistency. It requires patience. It requires creativity. But it's possible to make the kind of life that we want, the kind of lives that we want to have out of the new economy, right? Like, But they don't, but I think that's hard to, I think that sometimes that doesn't compute because we have to remember, like, my mom is 70 years old. And Mm. during her era, like, my dad got a job, a sales job that he worked you know, for 20 years Mm, mm -hmm. 10, he worked his for 10, but like they come from that. His experience was a little bit different because of uh, his own impulsivity and his own entrepreneurial streak. But so many people of their generation got the job at 22, Mm -hmm. worked it until they were 50 retired Mm -hmm. at 50 with a full benefits package and maybe a Rolex. And like (sighs) that's just not the way that it works anymore. Right. 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 You know? So I think for me, part of um, understanding the kind of selfishness, paradigm was like oh some of that's projection Mm. from like how those people understand the economy to be but the other part of it for me has been like I just have to kind of accept and surrender to the fact that right now I'm in a season of hustle Mm -hmm. so like I don't have great boundaries and that means that you know yeah it means that sometimes late at night I am on my phone Mm. and I told my husband like I'm not just dicking around on Instagram I'm like (laughs) trying to build some relationships you know or I'm trying or I'm pitching shows or I'm doing this it's like I don't, I personally will speak for myself. I currently do not have great boundaries because I am in a season of um, hustling around mm-hmm. some specific goals that I have. Mm-hmm. And I anticipate that the longer I'm in the entrepreneurial space, the better I will be around like creating some boundaries of like, I don't work on Thursdays or I, sure. be, you know, time sure. blocking or whatever it is. So sure. I think there is kind of a moment of surrender where we just go, look, like, their ideas about it are theirs and they don't apply to me. And these are my ideas about entrepreneurial, uh, about being an entrepreneurial woman. And there is going to be a cost. Like mm-hmm. there is a sacrifice to that, which is like, it's going to take some time and energy and a, and a lot of beliefs and a lot of like my energy and a lot of like, just like commitment to it. Yeah. But I, I really think like when we have that purpose in our heart, like you have the message on your heart for so, like, this is your purpose or this is what you're passionate about. And this is what you're energized and inspired by. Then like, the world needs that from you. So yeah. in some ways, like you're obligated to chase it because like people need what you have to offer. Like people need the book that, that you're sitting on. People need um, the podcast that you guys do, oh, whether wow. you believe it or not, you know, <laughs> they need it. So it's like it's important that you chase it.
0: It's our Mamba mentality. Yes. All of our Mamba mentality. <laughs> 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 it is. it
3: really is. Yeah, no, it really and
1: is. and just, you know, as Liz transitioned beautifully uh, around Mamba mentality mm-hmm. and, you know, with the recent events on Sunday and just
3: mm-hmm.
1: kind of what's going on in the NBA world and, and remembering uh, Kobe and just mm-hmm. his work ethic um, mm. and what are your thoughts on that and what are some key things you can take from Kobe's work ethic into to pursue, for anyone, yeah. you, yourself or anyone that yeah. you would kind of consult in pursuing their dreams?
2: Yeah, I love this. Um, well, I love uh, you guys sent me a link to an interview that I watched mm-hmm. with Sue Bird and Diana. Diana. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. And they talked about, you know, the mom of mentality being like to overwork or outwork your potential. And the first mm-hmm. things that came to mind for me were this idea of like, you know, it's not sexy to be consistent. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, really,
1: I like,
0: love that. Mm-hmm. Be
2: like, <laughs> it's like much sexier to be like, "Oh my god, I left my job, and then the next day I started my business, and I had a seven-figure income." Like that <laughs> is not reality, though. Like, right. the, the reality is that who people who do that show up consistently, are committed to chasing their dream, and are willing to try something different, are willing to pivot, are willing to just like do the next thing that's headed in that direction. And so I just really appreciate like the idea of like, I got to be consistent and I just got to keep making progress and like, and be committed. And I will just say like, personally, um, I, I'm not in LA, but I, the amount of like collective emotion that, they, oh, yeah. that humanity is feeling over this loss is just like really intense. And um, for me, like I lost my dad when I was 28, he died of his alcoholism and I got the opportunity to get sober instead of die the same alcoholic death. And there was something about just seeing all these photos of them together and like this joyful connection that they had mm-hmm. that really um, tugged at the heartstrings for me. It reminded me of like, you know, even though my dad drank himself to death, he and I had that really joyful, like, we loved each other. We had so much fun together. Yeah. And like, you could tell that they truly were connected you know, that they were probably soulmates, soul flames in a way, because the connection that they have, just even through photographs, you can see like they're truly joyful and connected around one another. And I think for me, that's been really, that's been what t- what's been causing a lot of emotion for me, just watching mm-hmm. um, all these photos of them, like loving each other mm-hmm. deeply. It's been beautiful.
0: Mm. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. Mm. Yeah. yeah, We're going to, we're going <laughs> to unpack a lot of that later. for yeah. sure. And, uh, you know. Um. Yeah. Uh, so I guess we, you know, we have one more question we'd yeah. love to ask about your experience. Yeah,
1: I mean, and- mm-hmm.
0: I think I'm thinking about myself and
1: maybe even Liz and, and a lot of my friends, I know that we talk about constantly breaking the chain of being in a cubicle and and breaking out of that mm-hmm. corporate world because let's be honest, like companies don't give a shit about you, right? And <laughs> right. you're never going to reach or get that house or vacation that you want constantly being forced into this pay range for your position and you're not Mm -hmm. going to be paid exactly, uh, equal to the amount of work you're putting in. But when Mm -hmm. I think about it, like I've got a kid, I'm a single mom and it's scary. Mm -hmm. What from everything that you've done when someone's like, I'm nervous and I'm scared about it. What, what one thing could you tell them?
2: Well, there's two things. (laughs) Good.
1: (laughs) Even better. I love it. The, Two for one.
2: the first thing I would say is that, like, if you're seriously thinking about transitioning out of cubicle, life, you do need a plan and you have to have some momentum going. So how you would need to start thinking about how are you actually going to make money? Because you're right. Those are real. Mm-hmm. So it would be totally irresponsible for you to be like, "Fuck this job? You know, middle fingers blazing and, you know, whatever as you walk out the door. So my question, my first question is, like, is there a way that you can start to think about um, transitioning your skills into freelance work that might allow you more flexibility? Can you do a little bit of both? just to prove to yourself that you can make some money and pay your bills. And so then, and that's the other thing. The other question would be, it's not the second thing, but the other question would be like, and do you have enough for at least six months Got it. Um, or at least three months, mm-hmm. you know, three months, because you definitely don't want to be out in the world and get desperate and panic.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know,
2: but like if you have three months of your bill money saved up and you're actively working freelancing or selling whatever it is that you've got or, you know, I'd actually I'd love to talk to both of you some other time mm-hmm. about like what your projects are, because I'm like, let's brainstorm how you guys can make money on your project so you can leave <laughs> We'd your love job. that. Yeah, you know, yeah, love that. Um, so that's one of the and then the other thing is just like, you know, set aside the idea that you know how it's all going to work out and just start to lean into like, look, I don't know, I just don't know what's going to happen. But I know that I want something different than what I have now.
1: Mm, awesome. Yep. I love that. That was helpful. So I,
2: I'll, yeah, a lot of times I say just set aside to the universe. I'm just like, set aside everything, I everything that I think I know about what it looks like to work this job and just help me do the next dumb thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think it's like you said, you know, instead of looking at the whole thing all at once and thinking you have to do it all. It's about cutting it into Mm -hmm. pieces, which makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. I always said, I had a boss who told me, don't try to eat the whole elephant. (laughs) Start with the trunk, tail and go from there. I like that one too.
3: (laughs) Tweet that. that.
0: Yeah. I mean, she's not wrong. She's not wrong. Heidi, I cannot tell you how, you know, thank you yeah. so so much. Where can we find your book? Where can we find you? Where can mm-hmm. the where can our our peeps interact with you um, you know, on social and emails, whatever. Yeah. What, what are all your give us everything. Give us everything. Pitch everything. Yeah,
2: thanks. first of all, thank you for um, giving me all this time and sharing your platform with me. It's just so incredible to have the opportunity to chat with you ladies and so fun. Um I am mostly on Instagram. My Instagram handle is at honeybee, just the letter B fifty two um and you can find the book on my website well you can find the link to amazon the book's on amazon mm-hmm, great mm-hmm. <laughs> um you can search amazon for it, but it's actually easier to just go to my website which is heidibcoaching.com um and then there's like a tab on there that says buy the book and then you click on that'll take you right to the amazon page mm-hmm. uh, i will tell you it's in paperback and kindle and audible is coming so no. if my voice was not like nails on a chalkboard. I did there. I did um, narrate the book. So it'll be like me reading the book to you. Um, And that should be I mean, I thought it would be done by now. But maybe it'll be middle of February It won't be long. Um, And then uh, I do offer all of the workshop is available in an online course because I felt like people everywhere might want it. And also, I realized that it's kind of a sensitive subject for some people. Mm -hmm. So you might want to just do it on your own in your house at your own pace. Um, so definitely you can, that's also on my website, uh, Heidi B. Oh, and finally on Friday in two days, I'm launching my own podcast, the relationship Ooh, ready podcast. With awesome. Heidi B.
0: Very nice. We're ready to listen. Oh, that is so exciting. Oh. Congratulations. Oh, God yes. God. So thank you. Congratulations. I'm
2: excited. Well, yeah. listener... I will actually need to book some time with you guys and have you come on and do my show. Oh, oh yeah, for sure. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Let me unpack so my bad. baggage. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. You're going to be in for it, Heidi. <laughs> <laughs> I should write a book. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you Let's might, do it. Let's you,
0: write your book. Yeah. I'm you can you probably use her as a case study in yes. the next book? I'll Follow take up. your workshop and everything. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, well, Heidi, we, again, we appreciate you so much. Thank you for reaching out. Thank you for being part of, you know, our Hoops Talk podcast. And we love having these conversations. And anytime we can find a way to give our listeners, you know, something to chew on and think about and learn on, we love it. So we really appreciate you and your time. And, um, we look forward to everything you're going to do and we'll do, we're gonna be in touch. I yeah, know it. For sure. That's I know it. Good. This is thank not the first you. time. Okay,
2: thank you so much. You guys have a great rest of the evening. You thank you, too. you too.
0: Bye. Heidi. Bye. Okay. All right. Bye.
1: And Ooh. also too for listeners, so if you wanna if you're interested in this book, we actually have some hard copies to give away. So we'll post something on
0: our socials. Or maybe you can leave a review and Karen can read it. And if she likes it, she'll send you it's a It's part of the prize pack. <laughs> 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 so we should uh, get ready. We're going to go on with the next segment. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're back. We're back Back on to our next segment Oh
1: Alright I don't go. I don't
0: know if we need a, I need a breathe Or a moment No you don't need a moment a Snack We're rolling. We're rolling We're rolling Um Let's go Yeah No heaven
3: couldn't wait for you
2: Heaven couldn't wait
0: So we are moving into the
1: biggest thing I think yeah. to happen to basketball, really, and yeah. maybe even the. I, it's, well, definitely this fucking decade because it's only been a month.
0: <laughs> yeah, this decade sure knows how to like punch you right in the mouth. Um, so we're gonna we wanted to talk about Kobe and Gigi and what happened over this Sunday, and mm-hmm. Karen and I prepared. Um, prior you know we met up and I'm so glad that she's here in the studio today so we could talk about this Um, and I thought I was gonna be like crystal and all you know ready but if you um, we apologize if we get oh yeah already getting a little bit up, and yeah Um, but I think first like we wanted to talk about where we were when we heard the news because it's it was I thought it was a hoax I mean, it's I, I always did. like that, right? Like that's step
1: one of grief. Like yeah. you just denial. Like, so
0: I was on a plane to D.C. Oh, my God. And on a plane. And, and in a middle seat. Ugh. So I was like, okay. And I basically, um, I got it. I was on the Internet because I was working and I got a text from my family that said Rip Kobe. And it was funny because like I, our, my, I have a friend who has... I think I have a couple friends that have a dog named Name Kobe. Kobe. I do too. And so I was like, Oh, someone's for animals, for pet pass mm-hmm. and you know, so I immediately went to something like of that because of course it could there was no way it could have been Kobe Bryant. Um and then I was starting to get all these texts coming in while I'm on the plane and I'm like, What? So I turn on the dish T V to right. ESPN and I see the news and I just start crying right in my seat. Like I was I you know, I couldn't believe like what I was seeing, reading. It was like, it like caught me in my, my chest and my throat and I just had tears. And the man next to me, he was trying to console me. He's like, do you want some gum? Can I help you? And I'm just like, <laughs> so I'm like, sweet. oh, thank you. I'm, I'm so glad people, you know, sometimes people don't suck all the time. Right. Um, and so I, you know, rolled into DC with having, all this news and not really believing and still things like coming out. And, um, but I know my first reaction was that kind of unbelievable shock. And I still feel like I'm processing, I think we all are Mm -hmm. are processing it, but it was so shocking. And I got a lot of texts from people saying, um, you know, I wasn't, I'm not a Lakers fan. I wasn't necessarily a Kobe fan, but I can't believe how much this has affected me. Right. You know, and so that's where I was, and that's where I'm at. And Karen, I'd love to hear your side, yeah, where you, what, what was going on. No,
1: definitely. So, Ollie and I had plans to go to this Golden Gate dog show in the city at the old Cow Palace. And, um, you know, we're walking around, we're ooing and eyeing and pointing at cute, full bred dogs, and, you know, having a nice mother daughter time. And um, Marco sent me a text, a screenshot of like, google search and showing all the headlines about kobe being you know rip and killed and like you at first i was like what the fuck is this Doctored, photoshop shit like and i immediately opened twitter and it was all there and my next instinct was liz and kindle like we have our little group chat wow. i needed to check in with you guys did you hear i need to verify that this is the truth And, you know, we were going back and forth about, like, what we knew already, where we were at. You know, you mentioned you were on the plane. Kendall Mm -hmm. was also traveling over to Miami for a Super Bowl. And then, like you said, a a flurry of other texts from people who knew, you know, I was a big basketball fan, um, just checking in, asking if I heard about it. And, you know, at first when it was just Kobe, you know, I, and I've said it on the show probably a few times, you know, like undoubtedly he's a legend but he wasn't mine or he wasn't my favorite right um and we'll talk about that a little bit too about um his complicated life you know everyone's not we're human yeah for sure um and and then but i think when i started hearing the rumors again you know irresponsible journalism that you know his wife was with him his daughters were with him rick fox was with him it started to like escalate into more and I was just having a hard time being present with my kid Um, Mm -hmm. and it's that weird guilt and division because I'm processing this but then it's like okay but I'm here and I'm trying to be present and and be with the puppies and Ollie (laughs) and then I think when it was verified that it was Gianna with him yeah it hit hard really hard Um, yeah I mean just trying to get distracted, holding on tightly to Ollie. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just put myself in this like weird hole and made the excuse, oh, it's for the pod, right? Like I I got to know, but I think it was another, it was my way of processing grief was um, I need to know everything. Sure. And so I just was reading everything, learning everything, anything I could to kind of help me process through that.
0: Yeah. And I think as we're processing this and, you know, it's been, a, you know, a few days now from the incident and it's for a lot of people, it's something that, you know, especially the families that were involved in the tragedy, um, it'll be imprinted in their DNA like forever. Um, but I do I, I to your point about how, when we talk about legacy and when we talk like I was still trying to figure out, I mean, it was shock and process mm-hmm. and then grief and disbelief and the enormity of the tragedy kept growing oh, yeah, you know as the reports were coming in and then you know i'm still you know i was telling you i'm like i'm trying to find the language right. to how we have this discussion about a very complicated person um who whose on court legacy is pretty much like the the I gold mean, standard right and who's off court uh, legacy has had um, you know sexual allegations mm-hmm. in it and how we you know it today in in 2020 is a different conversation than 2003 right and how we For look sure. at these things and I think it's important that we, our podcast creates a space where we can have all the conversations mm-hmm. you know and and it be safe right um, I have I was a Kobe fan on court and I wish I knew more about his, you know, after retirement. Same. Um, Because when I was doing the, when we were doing the research, Mm -hmm. it's insane how much he has done since retirement. Oh yeah. It's absolutely insane. And it's also a, a really interesting narrative of how you're seeing a growth of a person who had this thing happened, you know I, I listened to an, an NPR interview where they said you know the 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 sexual assault case that happened in 2003 was a fork in the road for him you know where he decided which way he was going to go from there right exactly. and it was you know he decided to say like hey I, he made goals you know I want to be uh, I want to keep my family together mm-hmm. I, you know I want to Uh, learn more about you know what I've done and and be a better man and be a better husband Mm -hmm. and be a better father so you know I don't think that it needs things that we do in the past that are wrong should define necessarily who you know imprint but it does change you yeah and we hope for the better and from what we saw from what he was doing um, he was definitely trying to learn more Um, and and a lot of the the pieces that have come out in particular I think uh Jameel Hill yep came out with a great piece. great one. and she does talk about you know how he had um you know he came out uh for I think it was for uh George Zimmerman yeah it, during the Trayvon Martin case yeah. he was
1: kind of like well don't come after someone just because they did someone wrong of African uh, you know African-American descent and you know Jamel went off on him right and even after the fact they talked about it more because that's what Kobe wanted to do he wanted to address it right and then she talks about how you know they talked about it. it was still heated but at some point he wanted to learn and he was willing to learn and change and after that there was another case of another unarmed um young black man that was shot down and Kobe immediately um Tweeted in in about it, and I, I think I wrote it in the notes. But now I'm like spacing, sp- spacing. <laughs> um, let's see here. Uh, yes. Uh, later tweeted uh, after the shooting death of another um, ar- unarmed teenager, Michael Brown, who was killed by Saint Louis police officer Darren Wilson. He tweeted the system enables young black men to be killed behind the mask of law, and so, um, you know, learning and then taking action after that. I yeah. think. Look, if you looked at 20-year-old me and then 37-year-old me, if you're going to vilify me for every fucking wrong thing I did, oh, well, I'm done, you know?
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. But I also think that, you know, um, I I feel that it where it hits me the most is that we will not have him around anymore to to have these discussions that Mm, we need to be having, you know, because maybe right now he's, he's putting the work in, right. right? He put the work in, but there's still conversations that we could have had with him um, as a role model that he is, as he's, you know, moving forward uh, with supporting women and women in sports and his own daughter and having daughters that won't be realized. True. Because of his death and, that is so sad to me. And I also think about his family I and mean, the family of all the people lost in the in the tragedy. But, you know, I'm thinking about Vanessa and I'm thinking about their her, his daughters. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because I was just making coffee this morning and my husband's been traveling and I know he's coming home. Yeah. So, you know, I have that. Yeah. And I thought, you know, she's not he's not going to come home for her. Yeah. And that really hit me. Yep. And for all those people in that tragedy. Right. And anyone like that. So, um, I don't know. That just, that just got me. Yeah. Um, yeah. To I know that. And so I want, so I also think like being like, empathy and having these discussions and thinking about what's Twitter is not the place (laughs) to have these discussions it's not not, I mean it's a fire starter it's a shit starter yeah definitely absolutely it is not a place to have these types of discussions it's it's made itself fairly clear that it's not going to be the the right place to have it Mm -hmm. so that's why um, I'm so glad we could have this discussion and be open about all the different things that Mm -hmm are unpacked with our legends that we are now having those discussions with right now but on the court like gold standard gold standard
1: and you know it's yeah i mean it's not the place but it kind of is the start of the place right to kind of um and i think it's a filter it's who you decide to listen to like i really luckily i didn't see a lot of the trolls kind of Um, And negative things I've only heard of them anecdotally Where people were like Well why are you crying over some celebrity You don't know Or you know like he was a rapist And all those calls Um, But I think Danielle Cadet Who is the managing editor of Refinery29 Unbothered and on her turf I think said it pretty well Um, It's possible to feel overwhelming sadness For Vanessa Bryant And her remaining daughters And acknowledge Kobe Bryant As an iconic athlete and believe victims of sexual violence. It's complicated, and that's okay,
0: dude. We are messy. We're so oh, messy. Yeah. <laughs> We're not robots. We're not perfect. We're so messy. We're so messy, so messy. And um, I, I will say though, like Kobe was LA. You know. Yeah. The, you know, if he, uh, what you're seeing here in LA is. It's incredible. It's incredible to see. Like we were just driving in. Oh yeah. And there was a, a city bus yep. parked at a bus stop and it showed like the with the, the location on the LED, you know, it says one twenty seventh street or whatever. And then it went from that to Rip Kobe. Yeah. You know, so this whole city, this whole area is has lost someone that even if you didn't know him, you knew him. Yeah. You know, you felt like you knew him and uh, and I think like within grief, you make so many unexpected connections. Oh, yeah, definitely. With collective grief, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe it's unfortunate that this is what had to happen, but we all got to start looking at things differently. And I think as we look at the tr- listen to the tributes, yep. you know, we're not going to play any because there was too mm-hmm. many long, A <laughs> lot. long. Mm-hmm. Um, but something that kept resonating was, um, hey, we No one lives forever. Nope. You never know when someone's going to go. Right. He was on the court, but not in life. Exactly. And you never know when it will happen. And make that effort to um, tell people, your family and your friends, tell them that you love them. You know, make that effort to try. You know, it could be, it could be fleeting. Yeah. You know, we could get into uh, 2023 and be terrible people (laughs) again. Right. But I think even having this moment to have that um, pass through and have us think about those things are important, you know. And seeing the athletes, I, I know you were talking about it earlier about seeing them like show so much emotion. Oh, yeah.
1: I mean, you know, you saw sort of the tributes through social posts, whether it was LeBron, Melo. CP3, um, Matt Barnes. I listened to, watched his little video on the way here after the airport. Um, and it's, you know, then, you know, uh, TNT had, um, you know, Shaq and Charles and, uh, Rick Fox was on it and Reggie Miller. And I think it was Shaq really that shook me. And, um, it's funny. I was watching that video and I wasn't watching it live, but then my friend Kay had, um, texted me and, she said, after seeing all the recaps and tributes to Kobe, I got to say, I'm loving that these giant masculine pinnacles of sports have been openly crying, leaning on one another and showing their vulnerability. And yeah, like where do you see that? I- I've never yeah. seen it. Um, and it-, it shows a lot. I think it shows a lot of the NBA itself and the league. Um, I think it shows a lot through the shift of going away from that muchísimo and, and mm. thoughts of masculinity around sports. And then um it really showed, I think that's what was so hard about Kobe is that like Shaq was saying, you know, the other legends are old. They just, they're growing <laughs> old. You still yeah. see them around yeah. showing up at games, yeah. you know, making special appearances. And then with Kobe, it was like, he was just still playing four years ago. Yeah. He was still right. on the court and right. he had so much more he wanted to do. And, yeah. um, and then now he's just gone, you know? Yeah. And um, I think that impacted a lot of the NBA and mostly because Kobe was their hero while they were growing up and deciding and making that decision mm-hmm. to get into the NBA and mm-hmm. be a baller. And, took pieces of him and his work ethic. And he was an inspiration to a lot of our superstars today. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, some of the old legends we see already retired and on shows and announcing. So it was, uh, it was powerful to me. And there's something about like what Heidi was saying about the collective uh, sadness. Yeah. Um, I think Mellow and CP three both were kind of like, God, why? Like, you know, religiously or whatever higher universal force you believe in, you believe that there's a purpose for things, and for them, they couldn't quite see what that purpose was. And for me, I think because they're close, right? Yeah. Um. But from me being able to step back, there's a lot of shit going on in this world. I mean, like, look, look who our fucking president mm-hmm. is. Look at the shit he's trying to stir. Stir. Mm-hmm. And that part of toxic masculinity is so prevalent. Um, but I felt like maybe this universe used Kobe as a vessel since the get, right? Mm. He achieved so much mm. before his death and inspired and created this influence and reach. And then him and Gianna's relationship. And I think they were somehow a symbol and a vessel um, so that their death would greatly create a shift in this world because mm. I think we've been so focused on money and war and dumb shit as a larger society and like you said death and grief allow you to kind of step back and look at yourself there's mm-hmm. things that will pop up because of it right who have you lost who haven't you said hello to the fact that Shaq said he hadn't talked to Kobe since his last game yeah that's nuts like you know, I went and texted my family and, in and, and people, and I was telling them I love them and, yeah. and everything like that. Because like, you know, when that shit happens and you regret not talking to someone or telling them how you feel, you know, that's one part of it. Right. Mm. Then for me, it was looking at my family dynamic. Yeah. It was looking at Olivia and how much I loved her and, um, the relationship we were building and how I want to continue to be this amazing mom. But mm. it made me look back at my relationship with my parents mm. And kind of that shit. And I think that's why I went into this like huge emotional piece. But I think collectively it's going to allow us to look at what we focus on as a world, as a society. And maybe this is going to just domino effect into something much bigger and greater.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's a powerful insight. Um, And I know in doing my research for our discussion, like um, I feel like I have, and especially, you know, talking with Heidi as well and her. That's why I asked about her entrepreneurialship and selfishness, you know, because I think like in the Mamba mentality, you, it's selfish. Yeah. It's selfish, mm-hmm. right? You're about what you need to do to make your goal. Right. And, and doing beyond what your gift is right. or what your practice is. Right. And it can be looked at as selfish. Yeah. And I know a lot of people were like, dude, the guy was a dick, right. you know, how he, how he made himself perform Mm -hmm. was not popular with making friends or being social. Yeah. And when I started doing research and, and thinking about, you know, myself, you know, I'm in my forties and him being 41. Um, and what I can imagine what Mamba mentality meant to him, before right when he was on the court Mm -hmm. and now what mamba mentality means for him now and it's so weird how like in when thinking about that um how in context it kind of also i can understand it more now oh yeah for sure you know i can understand what mamba mentality Mm -hmm. is and it's funny because without even saying it i've been practicing that Mm. you know i've been i've been saying like Hey, I want, I'm going to go to New York. I'm going to have my own gallery. I'm going to start my own business, you Mm -hmm. know, or I'm going to do this. And, um, may, you know, I, I did, I do think it, it felt maybe selfish and that's why I didn't, you know, couldn't really relate. Yeah. And maybe I didn't think, well, I'm not an, you know, a gold standard for athletes, which I am not ever will be. Right. (laughs) But that's not my goals. But I can see how that would flow um, to other parts and being a hustler or entrepreneur or whatever, whatever you need to call yourself to make you get go that extra mile. That's part of it. And I think that's what, um, uh, you know, the the shift. It's still Mamba mentality, but it's from, you know, a 20 year old to a 40 year old and what that means and what you've been doing and how that narrative. And I think. And I know in going through some of the things that he was doing, he was actually built his Mamba Academy. Yep. Um, he, We found this thing called, uh, what was it? Muse Cage. Muse Cage. Yeah. Like a Sesame Street-like yeah. episodic Go look it up. On ESPN, yeah. We'll I'll try it. to put a link in the, oh yeah, tweet it. So I don't know. It's called Muse Cage and he did this for ESPN. Mm-hmm. And it was basically about like it's him and a hand puppet called Little Mamba, a purple worm <laughs> or snake, right? Yeah, <laughs> he was really obsessed with like Westbrook and Harden. Oh My yeah, keeps asking about it, and he's talking about like what's a muse cage, and he's like, well, it's a it's a cage that you make with things that inspire, inspire you. you and there's light muses like you're great and then there's dark music that muses yeah, that talk failure. about your failure mm-hmm. you suck you know and so um he was trying to kind of i mean from what it looked like yep. is he was trying to uh create uh a way to communicate mama mentality right. to uh young people mm-hmm. you know so he was even saying like he wasn't looking at mama mentality and saying like, well, whatever I did in my 20s, that's how it's going to be. Right. No, he's like, I'm a 40 year old retired, a legendary basketball player right. that has young children. And I want them to understand what it means to have, uh, you know, go beyond your potential and put in the hard work. Mm-hmm. And so he created this crazy Sesame Street right. style um uh, narrative, you know, this this episodes, which I know also goes to how I think you mentioned about him wanting to be a storyteller. Is right. that what he, he was saying? I, I, a lot of people
1: were asking, and it might have been from Jamel's article, but they were kind of laughing at him. Like, you're going to retire. What are you going to do? Like, you're going to be so <laughs> bored. And then he's like, I want to be a storyteller. And people kind of like scoffed at it. Mm. And I mean, he ended up doing that. He wrote his book, Mamba Mentality. Mm-hmm. He won an Oscar for... um where is that? Uh, shoot. It's our other section.
0: <laughs> I know. We have so many notes. Um,
1: shit. <laughs> we well, won an Oscar. Okay, First champion professional athlete to win an Oscar and the first black person to win one for best animated short film for writing and narrating Dear Basketball, which I love that they someone had put it fully out on um, Twitter and mm-hmm. watching that, like... That, that was another moment that just pulled at my heartstring and, and made me kind of ball too, you know. So, um, it, you know, what's interesting is about this whole when you're hustling and being selfish, right? And, and it's something that I've learned too with like, if you're going to go do work on yourself, um, it reminds me of like, you know, I was on a plane today. And when you get up there, they advise you, if you have a young kid with you, put the mask on yourself first. And I think what we first see when people are out there to do their thing, to live their dream on the outside, it looks selfish, right? But when you get to this place like Kobe, your selfishness and the work on yourself then allows you to do work for others. And he inspired so many players that we saw on Sunday and even Mm -hmm. until today, just bawling their eyes out of the inspiration, hope, and even the one-on-one coaching he did, you know, I think we we saw that he was even coaching a lot of the WNBA players um off season. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. he was able to even provide this life for his children. Yeah, like as parents we see that oh my god, I'm working so hard. I'm not spending time with them. But because of all his selfish selfish hard work he created a legacy, but also his kids are set, you yeah. know, and maybe even their grandkids after that, and then he was able to focus on them. And like you said, create Mama Academy, spend so much time with Gianna and uh, Vanessa and his other girls. So I think sometimes what we don't see is that when you are selfish and you fulfill yourself and fill your tank, then you're capable of doing that and spreading that to others. So, um, you know, it, it, like you said, like there's a lot of things that were harsh about him. Yeah. Very pragmatic Hmm. he's a Leo Virgo I I found out oh yes oh that makes makes so so much much fucking sense August 23rd yeah
0: so much fucking sense and
1: you know it comes off abrasive but Hmm. it works you know and I I think what we didn't see early on was sort of the compassion that he was able to have now and relax a little and Hmm. enjoy life because he was so
0: focused on the game but um, yeah I mean Yeah, Yeah. you're never gonna, there's never gonna be another one like him. No. There'll never be another one like him. Mm -mm. Like when Jerry West was talking on TNT, that got me. Oh, got me. To see the old man cry like that. And he was like, at the end, he's like, I don't think I'm gonna be able to get out, get through this one. I don't know if I'm gonna recover. He said he equated it to losing his brother in Korea, who died in Korea, the war. And I'm just like, he was a mess. And I, you know, that, that one really, that was like, a big one. Yeah. You know, seeing that there and there there won't be another one like him. You know, there there won't. And um I feel so such an honor to know that he was a Laker and he wore it for twenty years. Um and it was really interesting mm-hmm. in with the Jerry West too is that he said that Kobe actually wanted to go and play for the Clippers. Oh shit. And he had to talk him out of it. Talk, yeah, I remember say, that. And Jerry West even said, he's yeah. like, I've never told this to anybody. And I'm like, well, Jerry, you know, if you wanted to keep it a secret, this is the worst, worst place to, platform do it. to do so because everyone's watching. <laughs> so secret's out. Yeah. Cat out of the bag. But he says, uh, you know, he said, yeah, he wanted, he called me and he's like, I'm done. He was pissed at the coaches. He was pissed at the organization. He, he wanted out and he told, Jerry you know hey I'm going to go and play with uh, I want to play with the Clippers and I think he even committed like he did a verbal wow. he went as far as doing that and then Jerry West was like you are not going to play for that owner yep. I cannot let you play for that owner yep. I won't let you do it I won't let you do it and he talked him out of it and you know <laughs> that's some good advice yeah I can't imagine Kobe in a Clippers no ugh. I mean, he'd still be in L.A., but no, no, nah. never a Clipper. Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> you know, never not a fan, like but if I had to choose, <laughs> oh, never a Clipper. Um, yeah. So, you know, seeing those uh, that like bit of insight to, um, you know, and I mean, it's, it is I think it is also a good point to also say that, you know, we talk about rebrand. I yep. mean, we were, you and I were talking earlier about A-Rod and how, oh, yeah. you know, his, his it around. whole, how he's turning around with PR and we'll never know what it truly was in, you know, Kobe's heart, right. like the authenticity of some of these things that he, uh, started, you know, it, uh, after being off the court and, and, um, but he did have access yep. to rebrand, right? Mm-hmm. He had, uh, the, he had the monetary means, resources, he had yep. the resources, that, you know, someone who's had, um, you know, dealings with, with, you know, legal matters may not have that access to. He mm-hmm. had his, like, I believe he had all his sponsors pulled from him. Yep. And so he really felt like the world was against him. Yep. And um, he did, I believe, like, the Black Mamba came out of that, him needing to say, like, all right you guys are going to do this. I'm putting on this black mamba and he got more tattoos and he was like cursing and Mm -hmm. he was like, fine, I'll lean into it, you know? And it was just another mask to your point of what he needed to do um, to continue in his basketball career during that time that he had. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that he was able to, um, you know, he did what he had to do and then, came out of it with and when he came into retirement he wasn't necessarily going into basketball as much right yeah. he was trying to avoid it so his daughter yeah. Gianna brought him back brought him back brought him back but I,
1: it from a different yeah angle right absolutely different angle right. kids and women oh and a supporter of the WNBA of of women's college ball um I think for me, I really wanted to know more about Gianna and like, there's not much out there, right? Like her social media presence is minimal because she doesn't have one, but the few pictures that Kobe had of her up, Mm -hmm. um, she wanted to be a Yukon Husky, even though like, I think maybe Charles or someone had recommended her to go to UCLA. And she was like, Nope. Uh, you know, she wanted to be a Husky and Yukon did a beautiful, uh, tribute to her by, you know, giving her a seat on the bench with her own personalized uniform with her number two, which was from um, her number in Mamba Academy. And, you know, you just see these videos of them hooping. There's one, I think it's in their private home, and she rips him. Like, I don't know how gentle he was, but the whole time he was smiling and Mm. so proud. And um, there's that great clip of him on Jimmy Kimmel where he talks about, you know, people come up to him all the time like, oh, man, you know, in post retirement, you got to have a son, bro. Like you got to, mm. you know, continue your legacy. And she would literally be like, oh, like <laughs> I <right>. got this. <laughs> that's right. You know, and right. um, the pictures that they start to show in video of how even her ball game was so similar to him, the way she celebrated, the way she shot. There was one where she took this insane shot that like her body just contorted in a way where you're like, that's not going in. And mm. and she makes it in just like her dad. And Kobe even said that the way she plays at this age, at 13, was way better than him. And it just kind of sucks that we lost this legend in the making. Yeah, She could have done so much for women in sports, the WNBA. Mm. You know, Kobe was probably advocating so much for that because... He didn't want his daughter to grow up and live her dream but only make like 55 fucking K a year <laughs> and have to like bang her body
0: working in other countries in the off season. Yeah. He, saw, he saw what these women athletes had to go through. And why not if you have the access and you have – uh your child that wants to do what you did and you just happen to be Kobe Bryant then fuck yeah let's make let's do it and I felt he was completely authentic with oh, his yeah. love of women's basketball and seeing it from the that perspective we have um ballaholic uh 43 in the chat he says or she Um, It's ridiculous to make an untimely death about anything other than unfortunate circumstances that rob a human life of the opportunity to create more meaningful memories with those around him. The idea that Kobe was a dick is just an opinion from a bad point of view. The man lost his life, period. Yeah, that's a great point. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. That... That him being a dick actually came, I mean, I use that, I'm paraphrasing, but um, it did come from athletes saying, yeah, he was, you know, he had his moments with Mm -hmm. us where we did not feel like he was part of a friendship.
1: Yeah. And maybe he wasn't being a dick. Maybe he was being more like, he thought maybe giving back was being like, all right, guys, let's get in the gym, like, or stop fucking around. We want to win, right? So let's focus.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, I think, we saw, I think a lot of people can see it as yeah, being a dick, dick, but that doesn't necessarily mean yeah. that that's what he was. Right, was his intention. Exactly. But I think that it's okay to have these conversations. These people are, he's not, you know, Jesus, okay?
3: Right. <laughs> Sorry <He's not laughs> to tell <Kanye>. you. Yeah, <laughs>
0: uh, yeah he's, he needs, you know, we, it, it, there's so many, mul- everybody is layered. There's a multi- he had multitudes. Yep. And when we look at the full body of the legacy, you know, if we're strong fans we can handle all that comes with a person Mm -hmm. and be able to have those conversations. I mean, it's like being in a relationship, right? You're, you got to accept the whole package. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, I I mean, I have like, it's, it's very true. It's very, very true. And it is beyond tragic that, his I mean I think about his family I think about Vanessa I don't oh, know why shit. yeah no I just like go straight to Vanessa because I'm just like she's she's dealing with <sighs> so much collateral damage from it like I just can't even imagine she's just had a baby she's still breastfeeding
1: I can't imagine losing the love of your life and one of your children I, I mean no. just losing a child period right no that's a double it's like yeah it's, and I, I read TMZ had released the news before she even knew. Oh God! Can don't you even imagine? get me started
0: with that whole. Though the, you know, the need to be first instead of right. We just don't know what journalism is anymore. I don't. In this in in this day and age, it's trash. It, I just can't believe it because they even uh, uh, part of the TNT thing. Rick Fox was on there, and they were like, "Yo, we heard you were on there," yep. and he talked about yep. what his family went through. Hearing that, hearing that, and then. Yeah, they were like, his phone just blew up and people are like crying Mm -hmm. uncontrollably, right? Because of course they know what happened with Kobe. But then they think he was dead. Yeah. Can you Uh, imagine that? I can't. Like if I, I cannot. No, I cannot. And that's just wrong. That's just, we don't have to be first. You know, we don't. And the fact that she might have found out prior to having confirmation. Right it's 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 really bad it's really bad (sighs) so you know we'll be I know we had like some other things on hand that we wanted to discuss but we did a lot of research and we are trying to create a space for grief you know and what that means and how do we move forward and um I, there's so many people that talk that, you know, his accolades on the court, like I said, he is the gold standard and there is nobody that is going to be like him. So, you know, for us, we wanted to look at it from the the standpoint of legacy and grief and coping and, you know, hope we can continue the discussion. Yep. And we don't know how long, like, yeah, I mean, but think about what. Also, the Lakers they're they're due to go on court on Friday. Friday. Oh my God, that's going to be their first home game yeah. since the tickets are. I think cheap seats are starting at eight hundred dollars. Holy, so moly. That just so many people want to be part of what's next. Yeah, or what how. historically, yeah. like what can they do? What's the connection? You know, mm-hmm. how can they connect? Um, and so. I know that they haven't spoken to the media. A lot of s- Dwight, LeBron, a lot yep. of them have done, you know, their own social, right? Um, but they haven't. Uh, their coach Vogel, he came out and. Spoke. Oh, I saw that and, today. Yeah, you know, right? he did. He did and, a speaking. I mean, that
1: video of LeBron getting off the plane. Oh, in tears. and I mean, yeah. they had just talked because he had broken
0: Kobe's record the
1: day before.
0: Yeah. Fuck, yeah. like that. That was actually, another one. and that was another one too. Because I was like, oh, you mean like rip his points you know yeah uh title yeah like ha 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 that's funny but then realizing that it was his life it was just still a shock still Mm -hmm. a shock so i think we're still like we're definitely processing this and you know we try to be as open to discussion and we try to be very like raw to uh share with you what we're feeling in the podcast and and we hope you know we didn't know how long we were going to spend on oh, this yeah. topic. I mean, we still had some <laughs> things about power and in fantasy, but, um, um, all that seems like <sighs> nothing. Yeah. It's when we're talking about the magnitude of what this tragedy and, and beyond it's, it's a lost process. Yeah. And, um. I'm just so glad, Karen, that I have someone like you in my life to process it with. Thank you so much same. for being my co- I would co-host. have been talking
1: to a bunch of dudes about it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, uh, I appreciate you so much. Same. And
1: I like you said like, you know, I I initially was going to come here the second week of January and the fares weren't conducive to my wallet and you know, it's serendipitous for me to be here this week after this and you know everything yeah. has its time and its place and um I'm yeah. grateful too for us just being so ingrained in basketball taking a risk in this podcast having each other mm-hmm. at a pivotal time in my career having you as a boss and a partner uh, yeah. um, and a friend and yeah um super grateful
0: well I know we're coming at time and I thought one of the most poignant oh, yes Uh, reflections that we saw of the many and all of them carried so much weight to see the outpouring um, of people who knew him or worked with him or interviewed him or saw him once, you know, uh, and one that really nailed it for us when it comes to him and Gianna and his legacy as a father mm-hmm. and what you know what he was building in his retirement off the court that I think for us just hit hit so hard and we wanted to share that one in this podcast it's Elena Duncan oh is it Al who is it it's Al Duncan, Al Duncan sorry mm-hmm. Al Duncan so here is what she had to say
3: It's likely that you're hearing many personal anecdotes about Kobe Bryant, so here's mine. I met Kobe one time backstage at an event for ESPN in New York, and I saw him and I thought, oh my gosh, that's Kobe. I got to get a picture for the gram. Hmm. That's the picture. I didn't get it for a few minutes because as I approached him, he immediately commented on my rather large eight-month pregnant belly. How are you? How close are you? What are you having? Mm -hmm. A girl, I said, and then he high-fived me. Girls are the best. I asked him for advice on raising girls, seeing as though he quite famously had three at the time. And he said, just be grateful that you've been given that gift, because girls are amazing. His third daughter, Bianca, was about a year and a half old at the time, so I asked if he wanted more children. And he said that his wife, Vanessa, really wanted to try again for a boy, but was sort of jokingly concerned that it would be another girl. And I was like, four girls, are you joking? Like, what would you think? How would you feel? And without hesitation. He said, I would have five more girls if I could. I'm a girl dad. When it came to sports, he said that his oldest daughter was an accomplished volleyball player and that the youngest was a toddler, so TBD. But that middle one, he said, that middle one was a monster. She's a beast. She's better than I was at her age. She's got it. That middle one, of course, was Gigi. When I reflect on this tragedy and that half an hour that I spent with Kobe Bryant two years ago, I suppose that the only small source of comfort for me is knowing that he died doing what he loved the most, being a dad,
2: being a girl dad. Oh, man.
1: Fuck, I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) Being a girl dad. Yeah. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to today's podcast. Oh, it's a hard (laughs) one today. A good one and a hard one. Good one and a hard one. And, you know, we, we hope, um, that you find your way through this grief, um, that you're also empathetic to people that might be grieving at this time that maybe you don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. You, like know? you don't get why. Maybe you don't get why. Maybe you're like, you didn't know him. Yeah. And, you know, try to be gentle and empathetic to those who are grieving and how they want to grieve. Right. Cause mm-hmm. we can't tell people how to do what they need to do for themselves. So, um, you know. Take that time and tell people you love them.
1: Yeah. And I mean, to all our friends and family and especially those in the chat, like we love you guys and yeah. we wouldn't have the interaction. We wouldn't have this show and yeah. we wouldn't have each other. And
0: yeah. Yeah, man. And hug everybody. Hug everyone. <laughs> hug everyone. And thank you, Heidi, for oh, yeah. being Heidi. at the top of the show. For sure. Um, We did not... It, You know, we had a different show in mind. Last hilarious show in mind. (laughs) So, you know, thanks for rolling with us on that. And thank you for being part of the conversation and giving us the wonderful, your your book. Um, Make sure you go out and get that. Relationship Ready How I Stopped Fucking Randos and Started Cupcaking My Soulmate. I think there's a lot of lessons to learn there. So, guys, um, be good. Be good to one another. Be loved. Be be loved. Be loved and be loved inspire others and lean into that mamba mentality get it get it get it get it girl thanks guys good night love you